Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. If you have a Bible, we'll give you a few minutes to turn there with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Pastor Mike will be preaching from the end of the section that we're reading uh, this morning in just a few minutes. And we're going to be reading verses 15 through to the end of the chapter, verse 23. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason... Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all you may be seated. And in just a moment, we'll pray together. Before we do, just a few reminders. First, we want to remind you that uh, among many things that we do to worship the Lord, we give uh, sacrificially and joyfully and regularly. So uh, just want to remind you to be thinking about that. There's multiple ways to be giving, either in person, in the back there's a box, or by uh, check sent to the church or online. And then secondly, as we pray this morning, we'll be praying for one of our supported missionary couples, and that's Nathaniel and Kayla Perry. They're home right now on furlough, but are soon going to be uh, returning to a challenging place of ministry in Africa, and so uh, we'll pray for them this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we, we want to come together to worship you as the Ancient of Days this morning. Thank you for the song that we were just singing. Thank you that we, we can praise you and worship you as the one who has always been who, who was and is and will be forever, and that forever you've been completely unchanged. You are self-existent, and compared to you, everything else seems breakable and fragile. Even our own lives, every single moment and second, we depend on you for life and breath and everything. You are the one who sustains this world. You hold everything together by the word of your power. You are the Ancient of Days, and Lord, we thank you that through your Son, we can know you and walk with you and worship you. Lord, we want to ask this morning, uh, again, in line with what we've just been singing, that you would remind us that you will reign forever and ever, that your throne will endure, it will always stand, and that we don't know the particularities of what our future might bring, but you're worthy of all of our trust. Lord, we pray this morning that as we sing together and pray together and hear from your word, you would reinforce uh, our ability to trust you, to trust you with every detail of our lives to trust you with our future, to trust our souls to you and to Jesus as the one who can deliver us from the wrath to come and take us safe, uh, safely home in the end. Lord, we pray that you would make us a people who trust you through the good times and through the bad times to trust that you're good and that you care for us and that you cause all things to work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, we also want to together confess our weakness and our sin to you. Lord, we know that in so many ways we dishonor you. Even as your people, we continue to turn back to old ways. And so this morning, we're so thankful for the cross 
We're thankful for Jesus, our Savior, who gave his life in our place and rose again. He is the Lord of all and the only hope for our salvation. And so we pray that you would remind us of these things as well this morning. Thank you so much for your son. But we also are thankful for Nate and Kayla and for their ministry and for the time that they've had here uh, to be encouraged and strengthened to be sent out again. Lord, we, we just want to lift them up as they're preparing to return to their field of service. We pray that you would provide for every one of their needs, uh, both in terms of practical resources as well as spiritually for their encouragement and nourishment. We pray that you would give them a sense of uh, readiness to engage with the work that you've called them to as they prepare to go. And we want to lift up uh, what they're doing uh, there and ask that you would use their ministry to bear fruit for eternity. Um, Lord, we know that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we thank you for them and for many other laborers. And we continue to ask that you would raise up more to go out uh, into all the nations and to proclaim the good news that Jesus is Lord. We're just thankful for them. We pray your blessing on them uh, in these coming months. Lord, we thank you for this morning together, and we pray that you would cause everything that we do to, to strengthen us in our sense of your love and in our love for Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand once again, as, if you're able, as we sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness together. Great is Thy faithfulness, O God, my Father, there is no
Consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then we see in Revelation 5, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It's all creation groaning. It is. 
Thank you that 
you have made a way for us to have a relationship with you for eternity in heaven through Jesus Christ, living a sinless life and dying on the cross to take the penalty for our sin so that we can be resurrected to eternal life with you. God, thank you for that amazing grace that you show us. And Lord, we ask for your continued grace to help us trust in Jesus. We know that if we can trust him with our eternities, that we can trust him with every part of our lives. And so this morning, Lord, as we hear from your word, would you continue to use it to shape our hearts and minds that we would draw closer to you, Lord, and we would see Jesus more clearly today. We love you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Beloved Grace family, it is good to be back with you and good to be back in Ephesians. We'll be looking at Christ being the head of his body, the church, in Ephesians chapter 1. Church is the most misunderstood and maligned entity on the planet. People routinely go rogue and take supposed control, and governments uh, ride roughshod over the church. Christians are under attack for talking about their faith. Many are afraid to speak because they'll be called hateful or bigoted. It is not hateful to lovingly stand up for the truth. It's a mess. And then you have Christians making the church a den of robbers. Strategic programming to attract consumers rather than shepherding flocks and leading people to worship the king over all. It's a mess. And there is an urgent and crucial need to recover a biblical theology and mindset of the church. And the stakes are high. If you get Christ and his church wrong, you get the Christian life wrong. Same time, we are living in a world that is confused and definitely not at peace. Uh, the scriptures tell us that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And God ensures that his creation is ordered even while we do not see that order that God provides. God is sovereign over all, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And all disorder is an affront to God's rule. And what we see now and the mess that we see is that creation is in the throes of disorder and chaos, and that mankind is violating God's moral law continually and throws families and nations into confusion. Satan and unrepentant sinners reveal disheartening disorder in arrogant foolishness by continuing an unwise war against our Lord. It's a mess. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 assures us that this mess will not last forever. The Lord is corralling all chaotic things within the boundaries of his sovereign rule. And though we take it now, these two verses about the head and his body which answers the problems that we see all around. Verse 22 says, He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And there you have the whole doctrine of the church in one sentence. The greatness of the power of God and our certainty about it. But it also fills you with some questions. Like, what does it mean to be Christ's body, the church? And even more importantly, what does it mean that Jesus is the head of his body? And maybe even more earth-shaking, what does God mean when he says that the church is the fullness 
of him who fills all in all. That's a puzzling phrase. And what we see in these two verses is that Christ is the authoritative, powerful head ruling and filling his body, the church. We find these two verses in the midst of of a section in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, where Paul is telling the church of his prayers for them and helps them to see what he's praying about continually. And what he's praying about is that they would gain a deeper understanding of God and his power for his people in Christ. Let's just summarize what began in verse 15. It's that he is praying that believers might know God more personally and intimately. And that they would know the hope of his calling which looked at the past. That they would know the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the church which looks into the future will be fully realized one day with Christ coming again to take us with him. But then he says, you also should know the greatness of his power. And that's talking about right now, the present. So he spends more time talking about what's going on right now for believers. The greatness of the power of God in the present, which is described and demonstrated when he exercised uh, his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand. That he subjected all things under his feet, gave him to the church as the head. That the fullness of God's power and attributes are given even to the church by Christ. And it is built on the fact, as we saw earlier in Ephesians 1, that God has given every believer every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. This is our identity. And so he is praying that believers would experience in a deeper way the spiritual blessings they've been given. This is what we need today. And and by the way, as you look at this letter, there will be plenty of exhortation coming in chapters 4 and 5 and 6. But here he just tells them, here is what God has done. Here is the power of God at work right now. That Jesus Christ was powerfully raised to life, that he is seated sovereignly above, that he is ruling over all, and that he is head of and leading his church. And, and by the way, I'm not a huge crier. I cry sometimes, I think, when appropriate. But I'm, I'm telling you, this, this week, thinking through what, what these verses mean has really uh, affected me. You give in the context, and, and you have to ask, why, this is, this is earth-shattering stuff, why here, why now? Like, why, given the context, does Paul state that the church is Christ's body here? You know, what's going on? Well, there's a connection being made between Christ and his church. And it's a connection built on two metaphors, head and body, that are intricately connected, obviously, head and body. So he has been appointed as head over and above everything, but also his, his body, the church. And this is the focus of this right now. So what these two verses give us are two essential truths about Christ the head and his body. The first truth is this. Christ is the authoritative head ruling his body, the church. You see it in verse 22. The second truth is Christ is the powerful head filling his body, the church. Verse 23, these are interconnected truths, but he is the authoritative head ruling his body, and he is the powerful head filling his body. 
And we need to understand what that means. And if you get this right, you're on a path to, to truly and humbly see God's power displayed toward us who believe and live it out. Now, the first point that we see here, Christ is the authoritative head ruling his body, the church. Now, to grasp that, you need to understand what is said at the very beginning of verse 22, that he put all things under his feet and then gave him as head over all things to the church. So under his feet is the idea of victory over enemies, that it was used of a winner of a duel who places his, his foot on the neck of, of the enemy who had been thrown to the ground. It was like Joshua had his generals place their feet on the necks of the five defeated kings in Joshua 10. That everything is subjected under Christ's feet, which means that everything is currently under his control, both friends and enemies. But then we look around and we go, but, but the mess that, that has been made, how, how can that be? Now, 1 Peter 3 tells us that Christ went to heaven and is at the right hand of God, having the angels and authorities and powers subject to him. That God's purposes are fulfilled in the Son who is made head over all things, but then he is given to the church as head, and, and the church are the ones who are acknowledging his rule. We do not yet see all things under his feet in the sense of all acknowledging his rule. But the first evidence of the reality of Christ's power is the subjection of everything under his feet. And it is a quote from Psalm 8, verse 6, where in that psalm there is no mention of the Messiah. It's regarding humans that God made vice rulers over creation. The writer of the Hebrews, in, in, uh, the writer of the letter of the Hebrews in Hebrews 2 states that the first Adam lost control of creation when sin entered the world. And he applies that to Psalm 8. The writer of Hebrews shows the last Adam, Jesus, was given control over what the first Adam lost. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 then applies Psalm 8 to the overthrow of his enemies. And Psalm 110, verse 1 says, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. When you come back to verse 22 here, everything is subjected or <clears throat> in subjection under Christ's feet. And Christ is at the right hand of God. <clears throat> that all things are subordinate to Christ, yet we do not see it all yet. Romans 8 tells us that the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. That everything is subjected under his feet, and, and what that means is that every human, every angel, every animal, every tree, every rock, every mountain, Christ has been given the right to exercise his rule, that he has control over everything in God's creation. That there is not one inch of all creation that does not belong to Christ, yet we do not yet see all things under his feet. Only God knows, OGK, right? Only God knows when it will be fully evident. But God gave Christ as authoritative head to the church. And the church acknowledges his rule. Now, sometimes it doesn't. The collective church doesn't, and individual people in the church don't. But God gave Christ as authoritative head of the church, the ruler. It means he's the ruler, he's superior, he's our authority, he's of higher rank. He is, as Colossians 1.18 put it, in the preeminent place. 
He is the head. Literally, he is the authoritative governing ruler of his church. What that means for you individually is it's not your mind, it's not your convictions, it's not the Pope, it's not politicians, it's not feminists, it's not new social norms and constructs, it's not any nefarious, evil-motivated uh, situation. It is Christ. That 1 Corinthians 15 says, God subjected everything under Christ's feet. And the implication here of Christ being exalted by all cosmic powers is that he is ruling his body right now. That there are evil powers presently at war with you if you're a believer, and they're already defeated. And that's why Ephesians 6 tells us, you need to put on the full armor of God since those evil powers are still active. That the full exercise of his power will not be evident fully until he returns. So the mess remains. But in the end, Christ is going to subject all enemies and will hand the kingdom to the Father. But at the present time, the manifestation of this control is not always evident. You look around, you see the mess we've made. There are many inequalities, inequities, injustices, uh, disasters, evil acts, much evidence of outright defiance against Christ and God. And still, Christ is in control without it being fully evident to mankind. That without his control, things would be much worse. That, that if he let go, things would fall apart. You could think of it like this, that he has the right and, and the power and the position and the authority to exercise full control, but he does not fully exercise it immediately in every violation of his holy character. That he forbears. But the interesting illustration, and the best one for every believer, is this. That he presently is rescuing sinners from Satan and sin. That he is doing this. That, that he is in control and that he rescues sinners from the most despicable powers of all, Satan and sin. And if you're a Christian today, you've seen it happen. That God has a plan. Only he knows and everything will follow according to the plan culminating in Christ's return when he will evidently exercise control. But at present, this primary rule is seen in the church. Christ is the head of his church. That word for church is translated assembly, congregation. It's the Greek word ekklesia. Uh, it's only found two times in the Gospels, in Matthew 16 and also Matthew 18. It almost always refers to the church that was predicted in Matthew 16, that was begun at Pentecost, that consists of all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. In Acts 11, it refers to house churches. In in Romans 16, to a church, in a village, or a city, or several churches. Many places in, in, in the New Testament, it refers to the universal church. In Ephesians here, in Ephesians, in these verses we're looking at right now, it's referring to the universal church. This is talking about Christ's relationship to the universal church, to all believers. That he is the originator and sustainer of all creation, and then head over everything in the church. That the one who is head over all is, is given to the church because he is the head of the church. That the creation, and you, you, there's distinct, distinct issues here. The creation and the new creation. And that he has his feet 
on the neck of creation, but he has, he has indwelt his church. He is, in, he is leading and guiding and protecting and providing for his church. That Christ has his foot on all of creation, and he is empowering and directing his church. And when you get the Bible's teaching correct on that, it requires a discernment on our part to, to realize, you know, that when we talk about the church, sometimes the first thing you think is mess. And not just one church, but like the whole collective universal church, you think, wow, how is God going to work all this out? Well, he's God. And, and there's a fine line between assuming that everyone is a believer who shows up at a church gathering and knowing that church members must be regenerate, born again, alive spiritually, saved. That not everyone who professes faith in Christ and joins a church has actually trusted in Jesus. Matthew 13 tells us, this is how, and this is the great picture, it's just clear to us. The enemy comes in and sows weeds among the wheat. And the weeds will be burned, the wheat will be kept. And this is the doctrine of the visible church. Visible. It consists of those who profess faith in Christ, who say they're Christians. It's called the visible church because we evaluate membership based on what we can see and hear. Submission to leaders and baptisms and professions of faith. But we cannot, you know drill into everyone's skull and find out what they're really thinking about it. And, and we know scripturally a mere profession of faith cannot save. This should sober us. The idea is this, and you have to take it personally. You may not have saving faith in Christ, and yet you might be a member of Grace Church of Orange. That's sobering. You might not have saving faith in Christ, yet you may have been made a member of this church. See, profession of faith alone will not get you into heaven. You can't show up and say, well, I, I joined Grace Church of Orange. And God's like, well, you slipped through the cracks. You gave them a story. You weren't really saved. Insufficient for membership in the invisible church is just a profession of faith and, and joining a church. See, the invisible church, comprised of all who rest in Christ alone for salvation, is the true church. Now, it, let's just say right now, what I just said, you're kind of, you know, your heart's beating faster and you're really worried and you're wondering. And you're like, oh no, am I really saved? Well, usually real Christians are worried about if they're saved and if, if, they're, if they're forgiven. Usually the fake Christian, the people who say they're Christians will be like, I'm good and everyone else is not as good as me. If you're not a believer today, you need to believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved and believe he died for your sins on the cross, taking the punishment your sins deserve, shed his blood, was buried, rose on the third day, and promised to return for those who would believe in him and take them to be with him forever and, and to judge those who have rejected him. That's what you need. And I'd say you take, take your pride out of the picture and, and admit what's going on. If, in fact, you somehow became a member of Grace Church of Orange, but you, you weren't a believer. See, Christ is the head of his church, and just like a head controls the entire body, it's interesting, uh, I don't want to be too gory or anything, but if my head was not here right now, this sermon wouldn't be preached by me. 
See, the brain and the spinal cord controls everything in the body. Without the brain or the head, the body can do nothing. Every process from digestion to respiration, hormone regulation, equilibrium, even sensation, all require the head, the brain. You can do nothing unless your head or your brain organizes and prioritizes and sends signals to execute it. The nerves and the muscles and the power all trace back to the head, the center and the source which controls all the nervous energy of the whole body and every separate part and particle of the system and the entire system. This is why when you read John 15, 5, and Jesus says, apart from me you can do nothing, that's what it's getting at. I don't think many Christians understand John 15, 5. Apart from me you can do nothing. What's there left for us to do? And that, in this, when you see this, you're like, well, I'm going to acknowledge this. God, God gave Christ, the Father gave the Son to the church. Sovereign, providential orchestration of this. God alone can do what mankind cannot. And he is going to use now a group of faulty, frail, feeble, sometimes faithless people. And it will work because he's not only behind it, but he's, he's in it. Christ is the authoritative head ruling his body, the church. And then the second truth, just right along with it, Christ is the powerful head filling his body, the church. Look at verse 23, which is his body, the church, which is his body, the fullness, and here's the confusing sentence, the the fullness of him who fills all in all. He is the vine, we are the branches, apart from him we can do nothing. Everything is from him. John 1.16 says, For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace, grace overflowing, grace unlimited. The life of the body and every individual part comes from the head. And this, this can be a little bit tricky, and, and it might even sound confusing, but it's, 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 what, it's what the word says. The fullness of him who fills all in all. What does it mean? means that Christ completes the church, that, that God was pleased that all the fullness dwelt in Christ, that we're talking about God's fullness here, filling Christ, filling the church. The fullness indicates Godhood in Colossians and Ephesians. In Ephesians 3.19, Paul prays that all believers might be filled with God's fullness, his moral excellence, his perfection, his power, that they would know the love of Christ. And in the present context here, in verse 23, power is the point, the point of discussion, that God was demonstrating his power for every believer in in the church, that he gave Christ to the church as head over everything, so that the church is being filled with the moral excellence and power of God. And it is not some secret concept. It's not some Gnostic secret. This This is the character and essence of the power of God that is filling the church. This is what we need to understand, that the fullness of Christ filling all in all. And it's not physical. It's not a spatial filling. Jesus, as God, is present in all locations. The idea is that the exalted Christ is permeating all of creation with his controlling power. I'm going to get your mind blown. If it doesn't ever in your whole life make you weep, you need to read it over and over again and pray that God would would help you understand what this is saying. That God is directing all things to their appointed ends 
in his eternal plan to reign over all creation and unite everything in submission to the Savior and that Jesus one day will hand the kingdom over to the Father in order that God may be all in all, 1 Corinthians 15. But right now, right now, this reign, the reign of Christ, is exercised in a special way in the church, Christ's body. At his return, the entire universe will see Jesus as the king over creation and the, the chaotic mess, the chaotic rebellion against his righteous rule shall end. Revelation 19 tells us this. But right now, right now it is the faithful church bowing to Christ gladly and, and receiving grace and receiving gifts that is unknown to the world. Churches faithful to God's word enjoy the blessings of God. The Father made the Son, the head of his body, the church, to lovingly fill the earth with his glory. I mean, think about the glorious and gracious acts of God in bringing that about. That Christ created his body. He, gave, he gives life to the dead. He, he, Christ sustains his body. He preserves the elect. He continues them in the faith. Christ builds his body, that he is growing his body, that he is multiplying disciples. As the gospel goes out, as, as we go do what we are called to do as the church, that God is multiplying disciples, and then he is empowering his body. He is empowering the body, that his power is, is, is there for every challenge and opportunity, for every defeat and every victory that you experience. And it is, it, is, it is poured out individually. It is poured out even collectively for the church. And that power is especially needed in struggle with evil. Evil right now. Needed in struggles against evil powers. That Christ himself, the head of the church, supreme over every conceivable competing power in the universe, even the powers that you might be terrified of right this moment. You know, the group that was, was originally given this letter, their lives were dominated in, in Ephesus by numerous magical practices that they thought they had to do to protect them from dangerous, unseen forces. And you might be living such superstitious life as well. But all these forces have been put under Christ's feet. This is what Colossians 2.15 tells us. That he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. This is the truth. This is the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You'll be transformed by the truth. So today, if you're a believer, you have no reason to fear any unseen spiritual forces in your life. Because of the power of God in you. We, just, we, we acknowledge that God in his sovereign, providential orchestration of all things has given Christ to the church and we ought to yield to the head. Don't dabble in the evil that's in this world, but yield to the head, the, the, the control center, the authority, the lordship, and then be transformed and engaged by his truth and with his truth. And the other thing this makes the believer do, and I think this is one of the reasons why it's right here at the beginning of Ephesians, is because this letter progresses. 
you see a heavy idea of caring for the church, especially in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Caring for the body of Christ. For believers back then, they had been under Rome's dominion. They had been dominated by Rome. They'd been harassed earlier by the Persians. The idea as Christ, the supreme head, had to be explained because they had been confused. And Paul provides the qualification with a succinct statement. The church is Christ's body. It's not an enemy under his feet. Being a part of Christ's body, the church, if you grasp this today, this will change your entire perspective on being a Christian and being a member of a church. That you are a part of Christ's body of which he is the head? Not joining a club? That you're a member of the body? The church is his body? He is the head of his body? And what are we? We're parts. We're body parts. We're members. That's where we get the idea of membership. Body parts in, in the body of Christ. Not being a part of a club, but being a part of a living organism that God created and God sustains and God empowers. You can't live the Christian life without the church. You can't be the Lone Ranger. I mean, the most frequent metaphor in the Bible for the church is Christ's body. Romans and Corinthians talks all about it explicitly. We are members of his body. We are body parts, and all the body parts are significant and important. And you cannot live the Christian life well without the church, without accepting your part in the body. I mean, think of it this way. I illustrate it this way. It's like the, the difference between being a band, being in a band, and being a solo act. Being in a band or a solo act. The Christian life was never intended to be something that you consume the blessings for yourself as if you were a solo act all on your own, a little independent contractor. You're a member of a band, as it were, a body meant to be a blessing for gospel purposes. And the reason why the Christian life is not self-centered is because God composed a living, interconnected organism. And the local church is, as we put it right up on the wall, a Christ-centered community. The united body life under the head's direction and protection. Now, with that, you need to make wise choices and not say, why is everyone not doing for me? But make wise choices as part of that Christ-centered community because this is not a mere concept, folks. This is not. It's a concrete example of the, the uncommon care and, and, and coordinated life-impacting ministry that ought to typify every local assembly. Though sometimes it's a mess. Christians in close community with one another. Care for the body. Care for the church family. Caring for others. Not pushing your agenda. Not, not being a unilateral leader. But followers uh, not being self-employed and being independent contractors, but being an engaged member. Like, if you're a Christian today, get yourself in a local church, join it, stay, as the word is preached, as the ordinances are administered, and as discipline is exercised, and as your soul is watched over by your elders. That's what you do. And, and you cheer on your teammates. And you protect your teammates. You don't fight them. You don't tackle them. 
you mentor those that are younger. You mentor those that are older. You, and by the way, I've thought this so many times this week. You might be the person. I mean, everyone in this room, you might be the person. Everyone who's hearing this on the live stream, if you're a believer, you might be the person that someone else needs affirmation from, that you encourage them in Christ, that you help lead people to Christ and help them grow. And, and, and don't just think, well, what are people doing for me? Think, who can I bless? And don't fight each other. Uh, my, my, um, my pastor at the church where I became a believer said this. He said, you need the skin of an alligator and the heart of a lamb. You know, in the church, you might look around and say, well, there's a lot of porcupines here. I'm going to get, you know, I'm getting jabbed. I'm getting, I'm getting stuck by them. Well, you are too. You're a porcupine too. So the church is full of all these porcupines. Well, don't fight with each other. The body of Christ is the fullness of Christ. And, and by the way, you know, like when a, when, a, when a husband and a father says to the kids who are being disrespectful to their mom, his wife, say, don't talk about my bride like that. Imagine the things that have come out of most of our mouths negatively about the church, not even just this church, but the church in general. And I think that Christ would say, don't talk about my bride like that. My blood-bought bride. And don't compare yourself with anybody but Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10 says, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Just share your life. Engage in real fellowship, which is a choice of your will. The church is your family, brothers and sisters. We are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, which is important to acknowledge. Colossians 2 speaks of some who do not hold fast to the head. Those who do not hold fast to the head spin out and swerve and go off into, into crazy worlds. Well, we need to live it. You know, we talk about the power of God, and, and when people talk about the power of God divorced from Scripture, they get all sorts of weird ideas about what that means. They come up with all sorts of ideas. Start with this. The Lord Jesus dwells in every believer. And in the Lord Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and the fullness of the Son is in the church, his body. Wow! So he will give you the energy and the strength you need to do what he's called you to do and to play the part he's given you to play. And yes, we do not see all things yet under his feet. And sometimes we see a mess, even when we look in the mirror. As John 1 tells us of his fullness, we have all received, and grace for grace. And the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's mind-blowing stuff, folks. It's mind-blowing stuff. Believer, are you anchored and actively engaged in the truth as part of the church? The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. I mean, think of all the superlatives. We have, we've enjoyed for week upon week reading what God has done in Christ to save us in, in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. You think of the superlatives. They're just piled upon superlative and the, great, the immeasurable greatness of his power now that, that every blessing, it's, 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 like, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to take my vitamins every day and get, and get a, little, a little, you know, take a ginger shot or something or, or it's not just I'm, I got this implanted pump in me that when I need the power, it'll be there. 
No, it's more like this, and, and, and you can't even imagine it. Never again needing to fill up your gas tank or charge a battery. The headship of Christ. Without the head, the body is dead. And we function as his body, resurrection power, chosen servants serving the word, truthing in love, gospel flowing into us and from us, and it's a reservoir that never runs dry. And recently, all the rains we had, we, we had so much rain, gave us so much water, we couldn't contain it and you know, couldn't save it up. We have grace upon grace to the ends of the earth, uh, flowing to overflowing. You know, San, I live near Santiago Creek, and it flowed for weeks after the rains as the, as the Villa Park Dam was under pressure and it needed to be relieved, and there's just abundant water all over the place. Well, we have in Christ, in the church, abundant riches in the gospel flowing into us and outflow abundantly as, as real as the resurrection, active and engaged in the church, through his sustenance, through his provision, where we need to now work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in us to will and do his good pleasure. Paul said, I worked harder than all of them, but not I, the power of God in me. That's the vital truth right there of the Christian life, even of spiritual warfare, and even about growing in Christ. We go go from strength to strength and glory to glory. Your position in Christ is is certain, it is secure, and, and, and sometimes you think, but little old me, what can I do? Or even, what can we do as the church in the world with, with the mess that has been made? Well, the collective voice does count. And one solitary voice counts and matters, a, a voice crying in the wilderness, if you will, because it's empowered by Christ. Christ is the authoritative, powerful head ruling and filling his body, the church, and the Father made the Son, the head of his body, the church, to lovingly fill the earth with his glory. The fullness of him is the clearest expression of Christ in this world is him indwelling his church and his church abiding in him. I am so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for Grace Church of Orange. God has blessed us with a culture of discipleship that we uh, want to be loving and following Jesus through the word and prayer and, and fellowship and evangelism together, that we're members, we're body parts, Christ the head of his body, the church, all who have believed the gospel. This is our life. I know that when you contemplate your life and all of its problems, you could be tempted by Satan to feel that all is lost and you think the mess is too great. I'm so weak and my difficulties are so tough. Or maybe you feel unimportant. You think, I'm not part of this picture. Well, you're a member of the body of Christ. You're in Christ. The life of the head of the body is in you and you're related to the nerve center and his power is in you. And this this is what's getting prayed for here. We would understand this. That Christ's power is always on. And in Christ, you will not fully and finally fall and fail because because he will not allow you to, because he is maturing his church. From the ascension to the second coming, his his body has been growing, and a coming day we will be complete. The fullness of the Gentiles will come in, the fullness of Israel will be saved, and the body will be complete and will be full. And, And even we will judge the world, and we will judge angels, and 
together as the church, we will be the lords of creation in the fullest way. We will reign with Christ. Nothing can prevent that from happening. So as insignificant as you might feel, you are connected in the body of Christ. And I think God wants you to grasp that today. How powerful he is. I got a little piece of metal in my hand. It's just a little piece of metal. It's not, it's not even a nail, but it was in my wife's tire. It was in Angela's tire. It was enough to cause the tire to go flat. Well, you know, a little bit of sin in your life will trip you up. But this, this, this knowledge that God gives us in Ephesians 1, this, this knowledge is, 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 is enough to make you go, you know, I, I want to live a holy life. I want, I, I'm a part of his fullness. I want to please the head. Uh, I was in Adam, but now I'm in Christ. Adam sinned. We all sinned with him. Christ died for our sins. Now I'm in Christ. I, I'm risen with Christ. Even as the power of God raised him from the dead, he raised me with him spiritually, and I can now reckon myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. I am seated with God in the heavenly places in Christ. The second death no longer has any power over me. And maybe I'll be a little more, a little more wrapped up in this and a little less wrapped up in what's going on in the world because Jesus is going to spit the lukewarm out of his mouth and... I don't want to be in that container. Jesus will spit the lukewarm out of his mouth. His body, though, is the fullness of Christ, the church. You know, Paul was called to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth and preach the riches of Christ and reveal the mystery of Christ. Ephesians 3.10 tells us, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Christ is seated above all satanic, demonic powers in the universe with his feet on them. And he is presently filling this uh, good and evil world at the same time with his wisdom through his body, the church. Do you know what that means? That means that demons shudder at the power of God coursing through the veins of the church. That means that one lady with the gospel, one child born again, one man exalting Christ in the workplace makes demons afraid. That God is right now, right this moment, in real time, filling the universe with Christ's glory by displaying his glorious grace through the church. That he is flexing his muscles through the weak and frail people who often do not even realize or recognize his power. And that we would one day be conformed fully to the image of Christ. And that our hearts and our homes and our businesses and our schools and our cities would be filled with Christ. In whose name we pray and live. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that you fill the universe with your glory through your body, chosen, predestined, adopted, presently being preserved and empowered even to receive your truth, to be transformed by your truth, to be anchored in your truth, to be engaging people with your truth, to know the truth and be set free by it, to love the truth and love all people and live in truth. We thank you, Lord, that you're going you're gonna to fix this mess and that no nefarious plot will ruin your plan 
and that our first night's welcome in glory will be like stepping from a prison to a palace. But until that moment, until that day, empower us to, to live and to preach your word that those who will believe it will, those who hardened by sin will be hardened still, but we would know we have the victory through our Lord Jesus and the greatness of your power in us who believe. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please stand if you would as we close singing, shine into our night. give a couple announcements. We got Vacation Bible School coming June 19th to the 23rd and signups open next week, April 30th. Uh, other upcoming events, uh, there's a Women's Spring Tea on April 29th. I hear it's going to be amazing. So you need to go to it, ladies. Uh, family Game Night on May 5th. I'm sure it'll be amazing as well. 
and quarterly men's event on June 17th. I'm sure it will also be amazing. Uh, God's, God's word is, is changing us, and we're also doing projects too. So there's, there's projects, building project thing we've been working on for quite some time, but I have some good news. The Go With Grace uh, situation, uh, architectural plans are being submitted to the city tomorrow. We expect to receive a response in the next month, which means we'll be breaking ground soon, which is like, wow, awesome. Uh, missionaries, uh, we have many missionaries faithfully serving across the globe. We have a, uh, a list of our missionaries out on the table at the Welcome Center on the plaza. Pick one of those up and get to know and pray for our missionaries a bit more. And also keep praying for those that are on short-term trips and those that are planning to go as well. All right, we're going to close with Ephesians chapter 6, verses 23 and 24. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Lord, as we go our way now, may we go in your strength and for your glory. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in the calm, with me in the